Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome to the show, folks. Today, I'd normally be doing an episode on Faye and Spirits Friday, but I'm missing one piece of critical information for some of my research. So I'm going to put that on hold for next week. In its place, though, I've narrated a story slash poem written by John Keats titled Hyperion. An absolute beast of a poem and a classic. But let's just quickly dive into who John Keats is. So John was born in London, 1795, to Thomas Keats, an innkeeper, and his mother, Frances Jennings. John's life, though, was wrought with awful events, losing his father during a horse-riding accident at the age of eight, and his mother to tuberculosis when he was 14, and then his brother, and then himself in 1821, dying at the age of 26. He wrote Hyperion, though, the poem slash story that I'm narrating to you today, in its entirety to express his grief. It's a tale of God's coming to terms with loss, anguish, suffering, and understandings, and the learnings that are gleaned from such suffering and knowledge. The story was written in response to his brother's state whilst fighting tuberculosis to then die at the age of 19. This piece is a reflection on his state of mind, his exposure to suffering, what suffering meant to him and those dying around him, and the terrible yet enormous knowledge earned from enduring such suffering. This will be a dry read, as I find these sort of pieces are better heard with just a spoken word. Enjoy, you lovelies, and thanks for listening. Preface The text of this edition is a reprint, page for page and line for line, of a copy of the 1820 edition in the British Museum. For convenience of reference line numbers have been added, but this is the only change, beyond the correction of one or two misprints. Hyperion, Book One Deep in the shady sadness of a veil, far sunken from the healthy breath of morn, far from the fiery noon, and eve's one star, sat grey-haired satin, quiet as a stone. Still as the silence round about his lair, forest on forest hung about his head, like cloud on cloud. No stare of air was there, not so much life as on a summer's day, robs not one light seed from the feathered grass, but where the dead leaf fall, there did it rest. A stream went voiceless by, still deadened more, by reasons of his fallen divinity, spreading a shade. The naiad mid her reeds pressed her cold finger close to her lips. Along the margin sand large footmarks went, no further than to where his feet had strayed, and slept there since, upon the sodden ground. His old right hand lay nevertheless, listless, dead, unsepted and his realmless eyes were closed, while his bowed head seemed listening to the earth, his ancient mother, for some comfort yet. It seemed no force could wake him from his place, but there came one, who with a kindred hand touched his wide shoulders after bending low, with reverence though to one who knew it not. She was a goddess of the infant world. By her in stature the tall Amazon had stood a pygmy's height, 
she would have taken Achilles by the hair and bent his neck, or with a finger stayed Ixion's wheel. Her face was large as that of Memphian Sphinx, pedestaled happily in a palace court. When sages look at it to Egypt for their law, but oh, how unlike marble was that face, how beautiful, if sorrow had not made, sorrow more beautiful than beauty itself. There was a listening fear in her regard, as if calamity had but begun, as if the vanward clouds of evil days had spent their malice, and the sullen rear was with its stored thunder laboring up. One hand she had pressed it upon the aching spot where beats the human heart, as if just there, though an immortal, she felt cruel pain. The other upon Saturn's bended neck, she laid at a level of his ear, leaning with parted lips, some words she spoke. In solemn tenure and deep organ tone, some mourning words, which in our feeble tongue would come in these like accents. Oh, how frail to that large utterance of the early gods. Saturn, look up. Though wherefore, poor old king, I have no comfort for thee, no, not one. I cannot say, oh, wherefore sleepest thou? For heaven is parted from thee, and the earth knows thee not. Thus afflicted for a god, and ocean too, with all its solemn noise, has from thy scepter passed, and all the air is emptied of thine hoary majesty. Thy thunder, conscious of the new command, rumbles reluctant o'er our fallen house, and thy sharp enlightening, in unpractised hands, scorches and burns our once serene domain. O oh, aching time, O oh, moments big as years, all as ye pass, swell out the monstrous truth, and press it so upon our weary griefs, that unbelief has not a space to breathe. Saturn, sleep on, O oh, thoughtless, why did I thus violate thy slumberous solitude. Why should I ope thy melancholy eyes? Saturn, sleep on, while at thy feet I weep. As when upon a trance summer night those green rubbered senators of mighty woods, tall oaks, branch charmed by the earnest stars, dream, and so dream all night without a stir. Save from one gradual solitary gust, which comes upon the silence and dies off, as if the ebbing air had but one wave, so came these words and went, the while in tears. She touched her fair large forehead to the ground, just where her falling hair might be outspread. A soft and silken mat for Saturn's feet, one moon with alteration slow, had shed her silver seasons, four upon the night. And still these two were postured motionless, like natural sculpture 
in cathedral cavern, the frozen god still couchant on the earth, and the sad goddess weeping at his feet. Until at length old Saturn lifted up his faded eyes and saw his kingdom gone, and all the gloom and sorrow of the place, and that fair kneeling goddess, and then spake, as with a palsied tongue, and while his beard shook horrid with such aspen melody. O tender spouse of gold Hyperion, thee, I feel thee ear, I see thy face. Look up, and let me see our doom in it. Look up, and tell me if this feeble shape is Saturn's. Tell me if thou hast the voice of Saturn. Tell me if this wrinkling brow, naked and bare of its great diadem, peers like the front of Saturn. Who had power to make me desolate? Whence came the strength? How was it nurtured to such bursting forth, while fate seemed strangled in my nervous grasp? But it is so, and I am smothered up and buried from all godlike exercise of influence benign on planets pale of admonition to the winds and seas, of peace sway above man's harvesting, and all those acts with deity supreme doth ease its heart of love in. I am gone away from our own bosom. I have left my strong identity, my real self. Somewhere between the throne and where I sit, here on this spot of earth, search, Thea, search. Open thine eyes, attorney, and sphere them around upon all space, space starred and lawn of light, space regent with life, air, and barren void, spaces of fire, and all the yawn of hell. Search, fear, search. And tell me, if thou seest, a certain shape or shadow, making way with wings of chariot, fierce to repossess a heaven he lost erewhile, it must be a ripe progress. Saturn must be king. Yes, there must be a golden victory. There must be gods thrown down and trumpets blown, or triumph calm and hymns of festival. Upon the gold clouds metropolitan, voice of soft proclaim, and silver stir, of strings in hollow shells, and there shall be beautiful things made new for the surprise of the sky children. I will give command, Thea, Thea, Thea. Where is Saturn? This passion lifted him upon his feet and made his hands to struggle in the air. 
His druid locks to shake and ooze with sweat, his eyes to fever out, his voice to cease. He stood and heard not Thea's sobbing deep. A little time, and then again he snatched utterance thus. But cannot I create, cannot I form, cannot I fashion forth another world, another universe, to overbear and crumble this to naught. Where is another chaos? Where? That word found way unto Olympus, and made quake the rebel three, Thea was startled up, and in her bearing was a sort of hope, as thus she quick-voiced spake, yet full of awe. This cheers our fallen house, come to our friends. O Saturn, come away, and give them heart. I know the covet, for thence came I hither. Thus brief, then with beseeching eyes she went, with backward footing through the shade and space, he followed, and she turned to lead the way, through aged boughs that yielding like the mist which eagles cleave up mounting from their nest. Meanwhile, in other realms big tears were shed, more sorrow like to this and such like woe, too huge for mortal tongue or pen of scribe. The titan's fear self-hid or prison-bound, groaned, for the old allegiance once more, and listened in sharp pain for Saturn's voice. But one of the whole mammoth brood still kept his serenity and rule and majesty. Blazing Hyperion on his orbed fire still sat, still snuffed the incense teeming up from man to the sun's god, yet unsecure. For as among us mortals, omens dear, drearer, fright and perplex, so also shuddered he. Not a dog's howl or a gloom bird's hatred screech, or the familiar visiting of one. Upon the first toll of his passing bell, or prophesyings of the midnight lap. But horror, portioned to a giant nerve. Oft made Hyperion ache, his place bright bastioned with pyramids of glowing gold, and touched with shade of bronze obelisks, glared a blood-red through all its thousand courts, arches and domes and fiery galleries, and all its curtains of aurorian clouds flushed angrily, while sometimes eagles' wings, unseen before by gods or wandering men, darkened the place and neighing steeds were heard, not heard before by gulls or wandering men. Also, when he would taste the spicy wreaths of incense breathed aloft from sacred hills, instead of sweets, his ample palate took savour of poisonous brass and metal sick. And so, when harboured in the sleepy west after the full completion of fair day, for rest divine upon exalted couch, and slumber in the arms of melody, he packed away the pleasant hours of ease, with stride colossal, on from hall to hall, while fear within each aisle and deep recess. His winged minions in close clusters stood, amazed and full of fear, like anxious men, 
who on wide plains gather in panting troops when earthquakes jar their battlements and towers. Even now, while Saturn, roused from icy trance, went step by step with fear through the woods, Hyperion, leaving twilight in the rear, came slope upon the threshold of the west. Then, as was wont, his place, his palace door flew ope in smoothest silence, save what solemn tubes, blown by the serious zephyrs, gave of sweet and wandering sounds, slow breathed melodies, and like a rose in vermeil tint and shape, in fragrance soft and coolness to the eye, that inlet to severe magnificence stood full-blown for the god to enter in. He entered, but he entered full of wrath. His flaming robes streamed out beyond his heels and gave a roar as if of earthly fire. That scarred away the meek ethereal hours and made their dove wings tremble. On he flared from stately nave to nave, from vault to vault, through bowers of fragrant and enwreathed light and diamond-paved lustrous long arcades, until he reached the great main cupola. There, standing fierce beneath, he stamped his foot, and from the basement deep to the high towers jarred his own golden region, and before the quavering thunder thereupon had ceased, his voice leapt out, despite of godlike curb, to this result. O oh, dreams of day and night, O oh, monstrous forms of effigies of pain, O oh, spectres busy in a cold, cold gloom, O oh, lank-eared phantoms of black-weeded pools, why do I know ye? Why have I seen ye? Why is my eternal essence thus distraught to see and to behold these horrors of new? Saturn is fallen, am I too to fall? Am I to leave this haven of my rest, this cradle of my glory, this soft climb? This clime, luxuriance of blissful light, these crystalline pavilions and pure fanes of all my lucent empire, it is left deserted, void, nor any haunt of mine. The blaze, the splendor, and the symmetry I cannot see, but darkness, death, and darkness, even here, in my center of repose, the shady visions come to domineer. Insult and blind, and stifle up my pomp. Fall! No, by Telus and her briny robes over the fiery frontier of my realms, I will advance the terrible right arm, shall scare that infant thunderer, rebel Jove, and bid old Saturn take his throne again. He spake and ceased, the while a heavier threat held struggle with his throat, but came not forth. For as in theatres of crowded men, hubbub increases more they call out, Hush! So at Hyperion's words, the phantoms pale, bested themselves, thrice horrible and cold. And from the mirrored level where he stood, a mist arose, as from a scummy marsh at this through all his bulk and agony, crept gradual from the feet unto the crown, 
like a lithe serpent, vast and muscular, making slow way with head and neck convulsed to the eastern gates, and full six dewy hours. Before the dawn and season dew should blush, he breathed a fierce breath against the sleepy portals, cleared them of heavy vapours, burst them wide. Suddenly, on the ocean's chilly streams, the planet orb of fire whereupon he rode, each day from east to west the heavens through, spun round in sable curtaining of clouds, not therefore veiled quite, blindfold and hid, but ever and anon the glancing spheres, circles and arcs and broad belting collure, glowered through and wrought upon the muffling dark, sweet-shaped lightnings from the nadir deep, upon to the zenith hieroglyphics old, which sages and keen-eyed astrologers then living on the earth with labouring thought, one from the gaze of many centuries, now lost, save what we find on remnants huge of stone or marble swart, this import, their import gone, their wisdom long since fled. Two wings this orb possessed for glory, two fair argent wings, ever exalted at the gods' approach, and now. From forth the gloom their plumes immense, Rose one by one, till all outspreaded were, While still the dazzling globe maintained eclipse, Awaiting for Hyperion's command. Fain would have commanded, fain, And bid the day begin, if but for change. He might not, no, though a primeval god, The sacred seasons might not be disturbed, Therefore the operations of the dawn stayed in their birth, even as here tis told, those silver wings expanded sisterly, eager to sail their orb. The porches wide opened upon the dark, dust immenses of night, and the bright titan, frenzied with new woes, unused to bend, by a hard compulsion bent, his spirit to the sorrow of the time, and all along a dismal rack of clouds upon the boundaries of day and night. He stretched himself in grief and radiance faint. There as he lay, the heaven with its stars looked down on him with pity. And the voice of Colus from the universal space thus whispered low and solemn in his ear, O brightest of my children dear, Earth-born and sky-engendered, Son of mysteries, All unrevealed, Even to the powers Which met at thy creating, At whose joys and palpitations Sweet and pleasures soft, I, coolous wonder How they came and went, And at the fruits thereof What shapes they be, Distinct and visible, symbols divine, manifestations of that beauteous life, diffused unseen throughout eternal space, of these new formed art thou, O brightest child, of these thy brethren 
and the goddesses. There is sad feud among ye, and rebellion of son against his sire. I saw him fall. I saw my firstborn tumbled from his throne. To me his arms were spread. To me his voice found way from forth the thunders round his head. Pale wokes I, and in vapours hid my face. Art thou too near such doom? Vague fear there is, for I have seen my sons most unlike gods. Divine ye were created, and divine in sad demeanour, solemn, undisturbed, unruffled, like high gods, ye livid and ruled. Now I behold you in fear, hope, 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 and wrath, actions of rage and passion, even as I see them, on the mortal world beneath, in men who die, this, is the grief, O son, sad sign of ruin, sudden dismay, and fall. Yet do thou strive, and thou art capable, as thou canst move about an evident God, and canst oppose, and canst oppose to each malignant hour. Ethereal presence, I am but a voice. My life is but the life of winds and tides. No more than wind and tides can I avail. But thou canst. Be thou therefore in the van of circumstance. Yea, seize the arrow's barb before the tense string murmur to the earth. For there thou wilt find Saturn and his woes. Meantime I will keep watch on thy bright sun, and of thy seasons be a careful nurse. Ear, and of thy seasons be a careful nurse. Ear, half this region whisper had come down. Hyperion arose, and on the stars lifted his curved lids and kept them wide until it ceased, and still he kept them wide. And still they were the same bright, patient stars. Then, with a slow incline of his broad breast, like to a diver in the pearly seas, forward he stooped over the airy shore, and plunged all noiselessly into the deep night. Hyperion, Book Two just at the self-same beat of time's wide wings, Hyperion slid into the rustled air, and Saturn gained with fear that sad place. Where Sybil and the bruised titans mourned, it was a den where no insulting light could glimmer on their tears, where their own groans they felt but heard not, for the solid roar of thunderous waterfalls and torrents hoarse, pouring a constant bulk, uncertain where, crag jutting forth to crag, and rocks that seemed ever as if just rising from a sleep. 
Forehead to forehead held their monstrous horns, and thus in thousands, hugest fantasies, made a fit roofing to their nest of woe. Instead of thrones, hard flint, they sat upon couches of rugged stone, and slatty ridge, stubborned with iron, and were not assembled, some chained in torture, and some wandering, Coeth and Gyges, and Briaris, Typhoon and Dolor, and Porphyron, and Porphyrion, were, with many more, the brawniest in assault, were pent in regions of laborious breath, dungeoned in opaque element, to keep their clenched teeth still clenched, and all their limbs locked up like veins of metal, cramped and screwed. Without emotion, save of their big hearts heaving in a pain, and horribly convulsed, with sanguine, feverous, boiling gurge of pulse. Nemosine was straying into the world. Far from her moon had Phoebe wandered, and many else were free to roam abroad. But for the main, here found they covert drearer. Scarce image of life, one here, one there, lay vast and edgeways like a dismal cirque. Of druid stones upon a forlorn moor, when the chill rain begins a shut of eve in dull November, and their chancel vault, the heaven itself, is blinded throughout night. Each one kept shroud, nor to his neighbour gave or word, or look, or action of despair. Creos was one, his ponderous iron mace lay by him, and a shattered rib of rock told of his rage, ere he thus sank and pined. Iupitus, another, in his grasp a serpent's plashy neck, its barbed tongue squeezed from the gorge, and all its uncurled length dead. And because the creature could not spit its poison in the eyes of the conquering Jove, Next Cotus, prone he lay, chin uppermost, as though in pain, for still upon the flint he ground severe his skull, with open mouth and eyes at horrid working. Nearest him, Asia, born of most enormous calf, who cost her mother, Tilus, keener pangs, though feminine than any of her sons, more thought than woe was in her dusky face, for she was prophesying of her glory, and in her wide imagination stood palm-shaded temples at high rival fanes. By Oxus or in Ganges' sacred isles, even as hope upon her anchor leans, so lent she. Not so fair upon a task shed from the broadest of her elephants. Above her, on a cragged uneasy shelf, upon his elbows raised all prostrate else, Shadowed Enceladus, once tame and mild, as grazing ox unworried in the meads, now tiger-passioned, lion-thwarted, wrath he meditated, plotted, and even now was hurling mountains in that second war. Not long delay that scarred the younger gods to hide themselves in forms of beast and bird, not far hint Atlas, and beside him prone Phorcus, the sire of Gorgons, Neighboured close Oceanus and Tithus, in whose lap sobbed Clemen, 
among her tangled hair. In midst of all lay Themis, at the feet of Ops the queen, all clouded round from sight, no shape distinguishable more than when thick night confounds the pine tops with the clouds, and many else whose names may not be told. For when the muse's wings are airward spread, who shall delay her flight? And she must chaunt of Saturn and his guide, who now had climbed with damp and slippery footing from a depth more horrid still, above a sombre cliff. Their heads appeared, and up their stature grew, till on the level height their steps found ease. Then Thea spread abroad her trembling arms upon the precincts of this nest of pain, and sidelong fixed her eye on Saturn's face. There saw she direst strife, the supreme god at war, with all the frailty of grief, of rage, of fear, anxiety, revenge, remorse, spleen, hope, but most of all, despair. Against these plagues he strove in vain, for fate had poured a mortal oil upon his head, a disanointing poison, so that Thea, affrighted, kept her still, and let him pass first onward in among the fallen tribe. As with us mortal men, the laden heart is persecuted more and fevered more, when it is nighing to the mournful house, where other hearts are sick of the same bruise, so Saturn, as he walked into the midst, felt faint, and would have sunk amongst the rest, but that he met Enclidius's eye, whose mightiness and awe of him at once came like an inspiration, and he shouted, Titans, behold your God! At which some groaned, some started on their feet, some also shouted, some wept, some wailed, all bowered with reverence, and Ops, uplifting her black, folded veil, showered her pale cheeks, and all her forehead wan, her eyebrows thin and jet, and hollow eyes. There is a roaring in the bleak, grown pines when winter lifts his voice. There is a noise among mortals when a god gives sign, with hushing finger. How he means to load his tongue with the full weight of utterless thought, with thunder and with music and with pomp. Such noise is like the roar of bleak grown pines, which, when it ceases in the mountain and world, no other sound succeeds but ceasing here. Among the fallen, Saturn's voice therefrom grew up like organ, that begins anew, its strain when other harmonies stopped short, leave the dinned air vibrating silverly. Thus grew it up, not in my own sad breast, which is its own great judge, and searcher out, can I find reason why ye should be thus, not in the legends of the first of days, studied from that old spirit-leaved book, which starry Uranus, with fingers bright, savoured from the shores of darkness, when the waves' low ebb still hide it up in shallow gloom. For my firm-based footstool, ah, infirm, not there, nor in sign, symbol, or portent of element, ear, earth, 
water, air, and fire. At war, at peace, or into quarrelling, one against one, or two or three, or all, each several one against the other three. As fire, with air loud warring, when rain floods, drown both, and press them both against earth's face, where finding sulphur and quadruple wrath unhinges the poor world, not in that strife wherefrom I take strange lore and read it deep. Can I find reason why ye should be thus? No, nowhere can unriddle, though I search and pore on nature's universal scrolls, even to swooning why ye, divinities, the firstborn of all shaped and palpable gods, should cower beneath what, in comparison, is untremendous might. Yet ye are here, overwhelmed and spurned and battered. Ye are here. O Titan, shall I say, arise, ye groan. Shall I say, crouch, ye groan. O heaven wide, O unseen parent dear, what can I tell me? All ye brethren, gods, how we can war, how engine our great wrath. Oh, speak your counsel now, for Saturn's ear is all a hungered, though thou, Oceanus, ponderest high and deep, and in thy face I see astonied that severe content which comes of thought and musing. Give us help. So ended Saturn, and the god of the sea, sophist and sage, from no Athenian grove. But cognition in his watery shades arose, with locks not oozy, and began, in murmurs which his first endeavouring tongue caught infant-like from the far-foamed sands. O ye whom wrath consumes, who passion stung, writhe at defeat and Nurse your agonies, shut up your senses, stifle up your ears. My voice is not a bellows unto ire. Yet listen, ye who will, whilst I bring proof how ye preforce must be content to stoop, and in the proof much comfort will I give, if ye will take that comfort in its truth. We fall by cause of nature's law, not force or thunder, or of Jove, great Saturn thou, has sift hast sifted well the atom universe. But for this reason that thou art the king, and only blind from sheer supremacy, one avenue was shaded from thine eyes, through which I wandered to eternal truth at first, as thou wast not the first of powers. So art thou not the last, it cannot be, thou art not the beginning nor the end. From chaos and parental darkness came light, the first fruits of that intestine broil, that sullen ferment which for wondrous ends was ripening in itself. The ripe hour came, and with it light, and light engendering upon its own producer, forthwith touched the whole enormous matter into life. Upon that very hour, our parentage, the heavens and the earth, were manifest, then thou first born, and we the giant race, 
found ourselves ruling new and beauteous realms. Now comes the pain of truth, to whom tis pain. A folly, for to bear all naked truths, and to envisage circumstance all calm, that is the top sovereignty, mark well. As heaven and earth are fairer, fairer far than chaos and blank darkness, though once chiefs. And as we show beyond that heaven and earth, in form and shape compact and beautiful, in will, in action, free, companionship, and thousand other signs of pure life, so on our heels and fresh perfection treads, a power more strong in beauty, born of us and fated to excel us, as we pass in glory that old darkness, nor are we thereby more conquered than by us the rule of shapeless chaos. Say doth the dull soil quarrel with the proud forest it hath fed, and feedeth still more comely than itself? Or shall the tree be envious of the dove, because it cooeth, and hath snowy wings, to wander wherewithal and find its joys? We are such forest trees, and our fair boughs have bred forth not pale solitary doves, but eagles, golden-feathered, who do tower above us in their beauty, and must reign in right thereof, for tis the eternal law that first in beauty should be first in might. Ye, by that law, in other race may drive. Our concourse to mourn as we do now. Have ye beheld the young gods of the sea, my dispossessor? Have ye seen his face? Have ye beheld his chariot foamed along by noble winged creatures he hath made? With such a glow of beauty in his eyes, that it enforced me to bid sad farewell to all my empire. Farewell sad I took, and hither came to see how Dolores' fate had wrought upon ye, and how I might best give consolation in this woe extreme. Receive the truth, and let it be your balm. Whether through Paul's conviction or disdain, they guarded silence, when Oceanus left murmuring what deepest thought can tell. But so it was. None answered for a space, save one whom none regarded, Clemine. And yet she answered not, only complained, with hectic lips and eyes upon looking mild, thus wording timidly among the fierce. O oh, father, I am here the simplest voice, and all my knowledge is that joy is gone, and this thing woe crept in among our hearts, there to remain for ever, as I fear. I would not bode of evil, if I thought so weak a creature could turn off the help, which by just right should come of mighty gods. Yet let me tell my sorrow, let me tell of what I heard, and how it made me weep, and know that we had parted from all hope. I stood upon a shore, a pleasant shore, where a sweet clime was breathed from a land of fragrance, quietness, and trees and flowers, full of calm joy it was, as of grief, too full of joy and soft delicious warmth, so that I felt a movement in my heart, to chide and to reproach that solitude with songs of misery, 
music of woes, and sat me down and took a mouth at shell, and murmured into it and made melody, oh melody, no more. For while I sang, and with poor skill let pass into the breeze, the dull shells echo. From a bowery strand just opposite, an island of the sea, there came enchantment with the shifting wind. They did both drown and keep alive my ears. I threw my shell away upon the sand, and a wave filled it as my sense was filled. With that new blissful golden melody, a living death was in each gush of sound, each family of rapturous, hurried notes that fell one after another. Yet all at once, like pearl beads dropping sudden from their string, and then another, and then another strain, each like a dove, leaving its olive perch, with music winged, instead of silent plumes, to hover round my head and make me sick of joy and grief at once, Grief overcame, and I was stopping up my frantic ears when, past all hindrance of my trembling hands, a voice came sweeter, sweeter than all tune, and still it cried, Apollo, young Apollo, the morning bright Apollo, young Apollo, I fled, it followed me and cried, Apollo, O father, O brethren, had ye felt those pains of mine, O Saturn, Hadst thou felt, ye would not call this too indulged tongue, presumptuous in thus venturing to be heard. So far her voice flowed on, like Timorous brook, that, lingering along a pebbled coast, doth fear to meet the sea, but sea it met and shuddered, for the overwhelming voice of huge Enclidius swallowed it in wrath, the ponderous syllables like sullen waves, and the half-glutted howls of reef rocks, came booming thus, while still upon his arm he leaned, not rising, from supreme contempt. Or shall we listen to the overwise, or to the overfoolish giant gods? Not thunderbolt on thunderbolt, till all that rebel Joe's whole armory was spent, not world on world upon these shoulders piled, could agonize me more than baby words in midst of this dethronement horrible. Speak, roar, shout, yell, ye sleepy titans all. Do ye forget the blows, the buffets vile? Are ye not smitten by a youngling arm? Dost thou forget, sham monarch of the waves, thy scolding in the seas? What have I roused your spleens with so few simple words as these? Oh joy, for now I see you are not lost. Oh joy, for now I see a thousand eyes. Wide. Oh joy, for now I see a thousand eyes. Wide, glaring for revenge. As this he said, he lifted up his stature vast and stood still without intermission speaking thus. Now ye are flames, I'll tell you how to burn and purge the ether of our enemies, how to feed fierce the crooked stings of fire, and singe away the swollen cloud of Jove, stifling the punny essence in its tent, O oh, let him feel the evil he hath done. For thou I scorn Oceanus's law, much pain have I for more than loss of realms, 
The days of peace and slumberers calm are fled. Those days are all innocent of scathing war, when all the fair existences of heaven came open-eyed to guess what we would speak. That was before our brows were taught to frown, before our lips knew else but solemn sounds. That was before we knew the winged things. Victory might be lost, or might be won. And be ye mindful that Hyperion, our brightest brother, still is undisgraced. Hyperion, lo, his radiance is here. And they beheld while still Hyperion's name flew from his lips up to the vaulted rocks, a pallid gleam across his features stern. Not savage, for he saw full many a god wroth as himself. He looked upon them all, and in each face he saw a gleam of light, but splendider in satins, whose hoa looks shone like the bubbling foam about a keel when the prow sweeps into a midnight cove. In pale and silver silence they remained, till suddenly a splendour, like the morn, pervaded all the beetling gloomy steeps, all the sad spaces of oblivion, and every gulf and every chasm old, and every height and every sullen depth, voiceless or hoarse with loud tormented streams, and all the everlasting cataracts, and all the headlong torrents far and near, mantled before in darkness and huge shade, now saw the light and made it terrible. It was Hyperion, a granite peak, his bright feet touched, and therefore he'd stayed to view the misery his brilliance had betrayed. To the most hateful seeing of itself, golden his hair, of short Numidian curl, regal his shape majestic, a vast shade in midst of his own brightness, like the bulk of Memnon's image at the set of sun. To one who travels from the dusking east, sighs, too, as mournful as the Menmon's harp, he uttered, while his hands contemplative, he pressed together, and in silence stood. Despondence seized again the fallen gods, at sight of the dejected king of day. And many hid their faces from the light, but fierce Enceladus sent forth his eyes among the brotherhood, and at their glare, Uprose Iapetus and Creos too, and Phorcus, seaborn, and together strode to where he towered on his eminence. There those four shouted forth old Saturn's name. Hyperion from the peak loud answered, Saturn! Saturn sat near the mother of the gods, in whose face was no joy, though all the gods gave from their hollow throats the name of Saturn. Book 3, and the final part. Thus, in alternate uproar and sad peace, amazed were those titans utterly. Oh, leave them, muse, oh, leave them to their woes, for thou art weak to sing such tumults dire. A solitary sorrow best befits thy lips, and antheming a lonely grief. Leave them, O oh, muse, for thou anon wilt find many a fallen old divinity. Wandering in vain about bewildered shores, meantime touch piously the Delphic harp, and not a wind of heaven but will breathe, 
in aid soft warble from the Dorian flute. For lo, tis for the father of all verse, flush everything that hath a vermeil hue, let the rose glow intense and warm the air, and let the clouds of even and of morn float in voluptuous fleeces o'er the hills, let the red wine within the goblet boil, cold as a bubbling well, let faint lipid shells on sands or in great deeps vermilion turn, through all their labyrinths, and let the maid blush keenly, as with some warm kiss surprised it, chief isle of the embowered Cyclades. Rejoice, O Delos, with thine olives green, and poplars, and lawn-shading palms, and beech, in which the zephyrs breathes a louder song, and hazels thick, dark-stemmed beneath the shade. Apollo is once more the golden theme. Where was he? when the giant of the sun stood bright, amid the sorrow of his peers. Together had he left his mother's fair, and his twin sisters sleeping in their bower, and in the morning twilight wandered forth beside the osiers of a revolt. Full ankle-deep in lilies of the vale, the nightingale had ceased, and a few stars were lingering in the heavens, while the thrush began calm-throated. Throughout all the isle, there was no covert, no retired cave unhaunted by the murmurous noises of waves, though scarcely heard in many a green recess. He listened, and he wept, and his bright tears went trickling down the golden bough he held. Thus, with half-shut suffused eyes, he stood while from beneath some cumbrous boughs hard by with solemn step an awful goddess came, and there was purport in her looks for him, which he with eager guess began to read, perplexed, the while melodiously he said, How comest thou over the unfooted sea, or hath that antiqued mane and robbed form moved in these vales invisible till now? Sure I have heard those vestments swooping o'er the fallen leaves. When I have sat alone in cool mid-forest, surely I have traced the rustle of those ample skirts about these grassy solitudes and seen the flowers lift up their heads and still the whispered past. Goddess, I have beheld those eyes before, and their eternal calm and all that face, or I have dreamed. Yes, said the supreme shape, thou hast dreamed of me, and awakening up didst find a lyre all golden by thy side, whose strings touched by thy fingers all the vast unwearied ear of the whole universe listened in pain and pleasure at the birth of such new tuneful wonder. Is it not strange that thou shouldst weep so gifted. Tell me, youth, what sorrow thou canst feel, for I am sad when thou dost shed a tear. Explain thy griefs to one who in this lonely isle hath been the watcher of thy sleep and hours of life. From the young day when first thy infant hand plucked witless the weak flowers, till thine arm could bend that bow heroic to all time. Show thy heart's secrets to an ancient power who hath forsaken old and sacred thrones, 
for prophecies of thee, and for the sake of loveliness newborn. Apollo then, with sudden scrutiny and gloomless eyes, thus answered, while his white melodious throat throbbed with the syllables, Nemosini, thy name is on my tongue, I know not how. Why should I tell thee what thou so well seest? Why should I strive to show what from thy lips would come no mystery? For me, dark and painful, vile oblivion seals my eyes. I strive to search wherefore I am so sad until a melancholy numbs my limbs. And then upon the grass I sit and moan, like one who once had wings. Why should I feel cursed and thwarted when the liegeless air yields to my step aspirant? Why should I spurn the green turf as hateful to my feet? Goddess benign, point forth some unknown thing and there not other regions than this isle. Goddess benign, point forth some unknown thing are there not other regions than this isle? What are the stars? There is the sun, the sun, and the most patient brilliance of the moon, and stars by thousands point me out the way to any one particular beauteous star, and I will flit into it with my lyre, and make its silvery splendor pant with bliss. I have heard the cloudy thunder. Where is power? Whose hand? Whose essence? What divinity makes this allurum in the elements? While I hear idle, listen on the shores, in fearless yet in aching ignorance. Oh, tell me, lonely goddess, by thy harp, that waileth every morn and eventide, tell me why thus I rave about these groves. Mute thou remainest, mute, yet I can read a wondrous lesson in thy silent face. Knowledge enormous makes a god of me. Names, deeds, grey legends, dire events, rebellions, majesties, sovereign voices, agonies, creations, and destroyings all at once pour into the wide hollows of my brain, and defy me, as if some blithe wine, or bright elixir peerless I had drunk, and so become immortal. Thus the god, while his enkindled eyes with level glance beneath his white soft temples, steadfast kept trembling with light upon Nimosin. Soon wild commotions shook him, and made flush all the immortal fairness of his limbs. Most like the struggle at the gate of death, or liker still to one who should take leave of pale immortal death, and with a pang, as hot as death's is chill, with fierce convulse, die into life. So young Apollo anguished his very hair, his golden tresses famed, kept undulation round his eager neck. During the pain of Nemesin, upheld his arms as one who prophesied at length. Apollo shrieked, and lo, from all his limbs, celestial. Well, folks, quite a masterpiece of writing, 
right? Believe it or not, this piece isn't often heard, as it is one of John Keats' abandoned writings, further worked on in a later piece called La Mia. The concept that suffering brings, its own unique perspective and knowledge, is one that I'd rather not experience at all. But this poem really captures the feeling of grief and loss and impending hopelessness. Now folks, if you have your own stories to share with me, email them to me. You can leave an iTunes review expressing how much you love the show or loathe the show. And lastly, you can support me by Patreon by googling patreon.com forward slash sfgt and bam, you're there. Now folks, today, seeing as the poem is God-themed, I'm going to write a short God synopsis for each of my White Tea Warlords and Odin IT Titans. So let's dig on in. Megastar Maya. Bastet, feline of the Nile. With claws that glimmer and shine at night, Bastet is a force unmatched in agility, strength, and cunning. She bestows on those that she aids the foresight of quick thinking, amazing reflexes, and grip strength that enables her followers to sink their hands into walls and cement like butter, climbing from wall to rooftop to tower just as a cat would. Followers of Bastet will never need a way out. Every wall, every rampart, every tower is just yet another escape. My white tea warlord Solstra, Solaris the Sun God. Those that follow Solaris make the world's most effective detectives. They weed out those that lie with an innate ability to sense secrets, hidden truths, and the capacity to put pressure on key weak points in a person's arguments. Solaris literally provides her followers the ability to shine a light on those that behold the dark. Truly followers of the Sun God. Lee Bauer, Taloon's Determination. Taloon is the goddess of the moon, bestowing on their followers the power of determination and justice, seeking answers when met with resistance and simply getting stronger and more powerful when met with even more obstacles. Taloon's followers had the uncanny ability to push on through difficult situations where others would stumble. And my next white tea warlord, Paige Kramer, Seekist. The goddess Seekist is one that covets knowledge and free thought. Those that are imbued with her essence travel the world absorbing, understanding, and experiencing adventure. The Seekist is able to make the most out of any situation, finding thoughts and understandings that others gloss over in their haste, those touched by Seekist cherish life and all its meaning. And my amazing, legendary Ilgrate Enforcers, I am lucky to have Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, divided by Zero, Leah Fassig, and Alia Arcane. Thank you all for listening. Every single one of you guys and gals that supports the show pushes this show to new limits. And not an episode goes by that I'm not grateful. You lovelies put a pep in my step every single week. And if any of you lovely listeners know someone who would like this show, send me their way. And feel free to reach out to me via email at any time for any questions you might have or story recommendations. Have a wonderful weekend, my lovely, lovely souls. Until next, we meet.